What does loving your neighbor actually look like? This is Journey with Care, where curious Canadians get inspired to love others well through real life stories and honest conversations. Hey, Curious Sojourners, we're kicking off a new series today, Leading Differently Together. I'm so glad you're coming on this journey as we meet up with some fascinating Canadians who embody our new series, Leading Differently Together. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So what does this look like for Canada? You'll have to listen to find out because we're going to gain new imagination and appreciation for the ways our featured guests are boldly impacting their communities across Canada, living out these exact qualities that Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 talk about. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. We often refer to it in our series as APES, the, the acronym of all those five. I'm your host, Wendy Park, and in studio today, we have a special guest from Calgary, Alberta, Zach Mantai, to kick us off in the series. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Wendy. Love to be with you. And how are things in Calgary today? You know what? We're a blustery, blooming 10 degrees Celsius. It is a beautiful day. And you know what? I think that there's some amazing conversations happening across the country. And here in Western Canada, there's just some amazing stuff that God is revealing and opening up people's eyes to. And I'm grateful to be a part of the conversation today. Well, I'm so glad to have you. I know we were introduced uh, not too long ago within this last year. And when I looked up your profile on LinkedIn and we we did have that conversation, what grabbed my attention right away was your description of disruptor extraordinaire. And that resonated with me. And I'm like, yeah, this guy I do want to meet. You are doing some extraordinary things in, in Calgary, specifically for the city and whatnot. Can you tell us a little bit more about what gets you up in the morning? You betcha. Um, disruptor extraordinaire, canoe tipper. Uh, often when you're with me, things don't stay uh, simple. And I think that when I look at the world around me and the way that God has wired me, a lot of the conversations are about saying, you've heard it said. And I think that when Jesus did that throughout the Gospels, there was a lot of trying to really bring back what God's intent was. And there's been this amazing opportunity in my life, in my vocation, and in my personal life to be able to ask the questions, well, that might be the way it is, but is that the way it's supposed to be? Is that the way it should be? Is that the way that brings blessing and hope into the people's lives around me? And sometimes the answer is no. And are we willing to wrestle with that and understand it? One of the things that kind of always makes me chuckle when I think about the early church fathers, they didn't have this long list of things. They only had the Old Testament. They had the Torah to kind of reflect on. And so today we have like literally 2,000 years of additional conversations and additional things. And when we acknowledge the fact that people have been wrestling with the truths of God as as they've revealed through scripture and through creation over the years that sometimes we need to sit back and wrestle with it a little bit more. And whether you like me or not is sometimes dependent on whether or not you like to wrestle with me. Sometimes like with Jacob and God, you don't walk the same afterwards, <laughs> but hopefully we're all better for it. Well, Zach, I think we're a dangerous combination to kick off this series because there's a lot we could dive into <laughs> that Ephesians 4. 100%. You have background in, in church ministry, a lot of background in that. You have been a pastor prior to the work you're doing now. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into faith and where it's led you today? Yeah. One of the struggles when I think about, you know, let's get the, somebody's testimony is that it feels like you're looking for a, a single point in time where God did something and life was always perfect after that. And I, I accept the mess, I think, in my own life. Um, I come from a, a broken home. I come from a, a family that both tried and failed often at being what God intended. My mother has dealt with many different things over the years. I'm adopted into a, a new family, and when I was grafted into a, a Pentecostal charismatic church at an early age, I had already felt this sense of God's hand on my life. There was this understanding of 
my father, both earthly, my adopted and biological were not necessarily perfect, but there was this intimate relationship with the creator, with the heavenly father that I think really formed a lot of the ways that I now view the world. But a lot of that sense of God, where are you moving and how do I follow in your footsteps? <laughs> when Jesus says, why were you worried? I was just about my father's business. That's been a bit of the foundation for a bit of my life where sometimes I like the disruptor extraordinaire, uh, am found to be outside of the box thinking when really all I feel like I'm doing is is doing my father's business. And so um, I was raised up in Edmonton um, in, a, in a Pentecostal church that, that really tried to anchor itself in good, strong teaching and good, strong worship. Music and the word were anchors in our life, but there always felt like there was this sense of, and then what? And I think that while I was raised, the, the language in the, in the early 90s was a five-fold ministry, that mindset of taking all five of these gifts into practice, often it didn't fully see itself realized in the uh, priesthood and kingship of all believers. It was more akin to there were some that were given these gifts. There were some that were elevated to the office of apostle or prophet. And they were put on a pedestal. We would do these things called presbyteries, where um, I know that terminology is used differently in, in different denominations, but in the Pentecostal tradition I was raised in, it was akin to uh, a prophetic ministry coming into town and you sitting under these prophets that were seen as God's anointed man, just like in the Old Testament. Rather than what I would say, some of the more nuanced expression that you and I will talk about a bit today is that sense of like, we were called in a leadership capacity, I believe you and I today and, and others in ministry and not to encourage and empower all members of the church to understand their giftings in these ways. And so that wrestling I had really pushed me into both a practical ministry where I was serving in social services, in emergency medicine, in different spaces where I was hands and feet of Jesus, but also always trying to hold my faith and works intention and saying, God, you are moving in the way I am serving in your church with the people in my community, as well as in the way that my vocation and the way that my paycheck and my mortgage is paid. So would you say you sort of naturally fell into or fit into some of these wirings of leadership styles, that apostolic, possibly prophetic, we can go into that? Or did you try other forms that just didn't fit and it rubbed you the wrong way? How did you come to really live in this outside the box thinking and embrace it? Because it, let's face it, often in the church, that is a bit threatening, speaking as one like you, that it, it might not fit within the teaching shepherding kind of context of a comfortable congregation. Uh, very good point. Um, I would say I have always attempted to, by wearing my heart on my sleeve, say like, I am fully embedded into my beliefs. And so I never would have used the language of apostle or prophet or evangelist in, who, in identifying who I am, because I would see more the outputs. And in the charismatic sense of like, where is Holy Spirit leading? Where am I flowing into? Mm -hmm. But it was more a matter of saying, I am, some would say naturally more a helper. But when I would do things like in, in you know, when you do those personality tests or you're doing vocational assessments before you're going off into colleges, it's like, who am I? And it would almost always come to like this sense of helper, but more than just helper. There was a um, Myers-Briggs that I did probably 20 years ago, and the name still, the, the title for my personality type, I say with scare quotes, <laughs> was a teacher idealist, because I would see myself both as someone who saw what was possible, the potential, and seek to be there, but also to raise up and walk alongside those to help create that potential. And so about five years ago, I did Alan Hirsch's 5Q assessment. And I think when you and I were talking about where we scored on that, I am high apostolic prophetic scoring based on my responses. And it fits when you start thinking about it through the lens of APEST. But at the time, it was a, it was a natural expression of my identity, of who I saw God making me and giving me those skills, those affinities, 
And I think it was a very interesting way to then say, like, vocationally and spiritually, it's easier to just say you're this job, this is, you're an evangelist, or you're a bricklayer, and just leave it at that. And I think one of the things that I know you and I probably would say is that in that sense of focusing as the church often has done over the last two centuries, focusing on shepherd and teacher as really the office of pastor, where someone's job in a role is to either be educated as a theologian or to take care of a congregation, left much of these other gifts as outside of the box. And coming back to that disruptor extraordinaire, not something that people wanted because you had a system that worked. You had a system that was predictable. You had a system that allowed for those things. And when I would sit with church leadership and say things like, we believe these things aspirationally in scripture, we, we feel called to live in this way, and yet we don't, let us encourage and equip and release, well, then we don't have control over those people. We lose our volunteers. We lose our, our uh, tithe base sometimes. Right. And we, we have this tension, too, of the office of pastor and the institutional church, which is just a, an organizational way of bringing the church together. That in itself isn't bad at all. But we also have to look at the tension with the priesthood of all believers. And when we talk about the apostolic gift, we're not necessarily talking capital A, coming a, a apostle, coming through town and doing some signs and wonders and great things. There may be some just specific lens of how we look at, and, and we are all kind of part of the body of Christ. And going back to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, why do we have these five things, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, thinking priesthood of all believers? It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not to sit on our pedestals and say, I am this, and I'm going to sit in this office. And it also says for building up the body of Christ. And one of the things that I'm excited about this series is that we're going to dive into those five different titles that Ephesians 4 refers to and hear people's stories as they've lived in these giftings and what it looks like and what maybe in immaturity it might look like as we need to mature as believers, but have a place in the church to exercise these needed gifts. Because one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is that we need all five. Absolutely. Uh, to be a healthy church, to see any good revivals happen, to see any movements happen, there's always elements of all five things. And so I know this is going to touch on some of our audience's heart. They want a healthy church. We want healthy communities where the church is attuned and vibrant and, and alive and well and impacting their cities. But then we're going to have to pay attention to where do we fit in? What is God creating me to do and be more than anything? And how does that affect? How do I live out my theology and my understanding of who God has created? So really looking at that leadership diversity around the table, that there's a place for everyone, not just the the typical one that we often hire, that we vote in to leadership. But what does it look like for you and for I and that other person listening in thinking, okay, where do I fit in? Do I fit in? And how can I best serve, equip others and build up the body of Christ for the service of others? Any thoughts on that? Well, and I think that this is this is what's been really difficult for someone like myself. So some of your listeners might be familiar with the, the language of bivocational or co-vocational pastoral ministry. I have sat in church planting roles. I've sat in formal pastoral roles in, in congregations. And more recently, I've spent a lot of my time more in the um, quote-unquote marketplace where I work and, and employ myself to do a job where at the same time I'm serving in a local congregation, uh, helping build up a small community of, of believers to try and walk this out. Because of that, it is easy for me to throw shade against someone whose job is to be a traditional pastor within an evangelical church in North America, where your job is to functionally act as both CEO for a congregation, for a business, and prepare things like sermons and manage staff, and that's your job as a pastor. And 
yet acknowledge that the tension then that sits in is any of the conversation about trying to create a leadership diversity that has more apostolic. When we talk about apostolic, we're talking about lifting up, envisioning, pioneering ideas. Well, that challenges perhaps maybe the budgetary requirements of the church pastor. Maybe it requires more volunteer hours or or things that are not easy to manage when you're stuck in a nonprofit scarcity mindset. And so whether you're trying to simply keep the ship that you have as a pastor in a local church afloat, whether you're trying to keep your healthy people in that shepherding mindset present, the tension is any of these more, I think you use the term disruptive often, leadership types will make it actually difficult for the existing status quo. And so what has been very interesting, I think, when I look at a lot of what we call disciple-making movements or DMMs around the world, much of their focus is around these disruptive uh, leadership types, the apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic personalities, because the skill sets within those individuals are the ones that create shifts. When we're talking about the, the house churches in China, when we're talking about some of these beautiful expressions of faith in Africa, when we're talking about missionaries living in Muslim-majority countries, you won't survive as a shepherd teacher in those environments. You won't. And so when we look at the Western church in Canada and in, in Europe, there is a, a question around how do we bring in a, a different style of leadership, both bringing APEST in a, in a more holistic approach to how we hire, what skills we need at the table, but also perhaps away from a single pope within a church, a mm -hmm. single bishop, a single pastor who has the full authority of, of God in that space. And there are many denominations that work very hard to remove that. There are some denominations that have gone so far as to make the pastor almost more of a employee of a board that tries to manage it to try and make sure that they don't have a single, I guess, point of failure, but also a single responsibility. Like I've been an executive director and I can tell you, it is not easy to try and manage an organization. And if I was also thinking about their spiritual health and, a, and all of the performances that go into a Sunday gathering, my goodness, like that, that is a lot of weight to place on somebody. And that is what many of the pastors across North America are doing. They're effectively an executive director of a nonprofit and the performance manager for a small play and performance theater every Sunday. And so when we're expecting that of them, I don't want them to feel like they are failing, but I think our expectations are wrong. Unrealistic, right? And yeah. we're going to go through what those five types of leadership are in a little bit of detail, we're going to obviously in the, the subsequent series interview different people with those giftings and get their insight. Lovely. But what I hear you saying and what I, I've been doing some research myself and experienced in, in church settings, not only do we want balance, but to have a healthy ecosystem within a church and a community and expression, all of it is relational. Absolutely. Any one of those that forgoes the relationship of each other and with God and with community there's always unhealth in that area and, and there's a need to be relationally integral. And it is hard. Apes, like I like to refer them, the the apostles, prophets and and evangelists. Yes, they're naturally the disruptive types. But when in relationship with others that are comforting the shepherds and the teachers, it actually creates a really balanced ecosystem where there's times for comfort, but there's also times to be pushed beyond our, our own comfort towards what could be and towards what God is calling us to do. And so I think that's beautiful. So let's just go briefly through each one of them. We won't have a lot of time today, but let's go through each. For the apostle, how can we describe apostleship in a contemporary way? What would you say that looks like in the marketplace, in the pew, on the pulpit? What does a apostleship look like? Well, like you said, sometimes when we think about these terms, we go straight to a title. So the title of apostle versus the role and the function or the gift of an apostolic mindset and approach. And so sometimes we think about people within scripture like Paul, 
where it's like the apostle Paul did these things. But when we talk about it in a more contemporary perspective, sometimes we're talking about a more entrepreneurial perspective, but also somebody who is, I, I often find apostolic in a coaching mindset because they're trying to catalyze change, which is almost always what apostolic ministry comes around, and then lift up and bring alongside those that are going to create that change with them. They don't need to own it. They can be a vision caster. They can try and create systemic change by bringing the right people to the table. And like Paul, I think over three years, he planted seven churches. You don't do that as a single individual. You do that as a team. And sure, when you think about him going through Asia Minor and and launching these things, he is lifting up He is empowering. He is creating new furrowed ground so that others can come alongside him and do the other pieces. And so I often think of the apostle as someone who is is willing to be the tip of the spear, who is willing to take sometimes the brunt of the things because it, it it is something they see and believe in and they want to create. And I think that one of the beautiful pieces of that apostolic ministry is one that A true apostolic ministry requires a sense of community. Much of these, like like you said, are healthier when they're in community, but some of them can be done more so than others as individual. I have the ability in this role to do more of this. And so when you have an apostolic individual with an organization that is like a nonprofit, often they're going to be okay with things like skunk works, where you're developing new ways of creating the change that you're trying to to craft. You're okay with the uncertainty because what you see drives you forward. Mm-hmm. Well, Care Impact is a case in point. I lead with apostolic vision. What you're saying is like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And always feeling a sense of maybe being a little too much for the church because my mind (laughs) drove me outside the walls and like what could be done? Systemic injustice, systemic racism, denominational rivalry and and things like that, that apostolic minds can tend to notice those things and say, what could we do differently? Always pointing back, if we're healthy, always pointing back to the cross and to, to what we are called as followers of Jesus, but thinking, hmm, our child welfare system, our social construct, what would it look like if the church were equipped and connected in this area to do things differently? What would it look like? What if uh, we could do uh, reconciliation in a way that was equitable, that was just honoring to our Indigenous brothers and sisters and to the Lord? What could that look like? And so, yeah, we, we try new things and we're okay to be that awkward presence in the room. And so, I think that will resonate with a lot of people. And and one of the fears that I have is that some people will feel that urgency, but be conditioned to not say too much because that's not being Christian or not being nice to rock the boat and saying, what if? We need the what ifs, obviously, to grow in maturity, because if we're not growing in maturity, but we've got to start somewhere, right? Let that be nurtured and discipled within the church. We've got to find people that can can nurture. I, I found those people that supported me growing up into this what-if feeling of always seeing something out there. But without that, we can be bulldozers. Without that, we can just be impatient entrepreneurs and say, mm, who needs a church? They're too slow. Let's just do this and that on our own. No, we do need the, the the body of Christ. And so it's just that call into relationship with others who might rub you the wrong way, but they may be the people that we need. So I would say we need diversity to mature us, but we also need to see other people further along in our giftings of the apostolic gifting to help nurture that and not think that we have three heads because sometimes that's what it feels like. 100%. And I think that that unhealthiness can sometimes be a bulldozer that takes out people and lets the, the dream of the vision of the what if destroy relationships. And, and this is where that sense of interdependence Something I was thinking about earlier, I'd been talking to somebody about when we collaborate with others, whether we agree with them fully or not, there's a sense of that mutual submission and interdependency that comes from things. An unhealthy apostle will not have that. They will simply say, my will be done. I know what's best. (laughs) You're in my way. 
Um, but a healthy apostle is, is using that kind of coaching metaphor is seeing success through the eyes of those walking with them. And their success is as important as the end result that you're trying to create. Paul could not have been the apostle that he was by forcing others to conform and bulldozing through them. He could only be as successful as those that he poured into and lifted up as he walked this out. And so much of our, um, I think, disciple-making brokenness within the North American church comes from a lack of understanding uh, of the apostolic gifting, where within a healthy church, the apostolic mindset says, I see where we are going and where we um, have hope towards, and I draw those along with me, and we co-develop this vision together, and we all grow through this in a way that simply a a teacher that tells everybody to sit and take notes uh, won't, or a shepherd whose focus is on everybody being happy and safe won't. The, the apostle says things might be rough. They won't be perfect. It won't even be a perfect vision of what things might be, won't be revealed to us right now. But because we're doing this together, because we're coming alongside uh, where God is revealing themselves here in our neighborhood, in our city, in our, in our context is worth going. And that is something that then they work alongside, they bring together and it's beautiful. And they speak courage into a congregation. Ah, they speak word. courage to try new things. And we need the apostolic vision amongst us to be courageous, to try new Beautiful. things. And for the, the flourishing of that congregation, that they will then in turn look and say, wow, we just did that. I would have never thought of it, but the apostolic will do that. Hey, prophet, let, let's go through the prophetic. What do we mean by the prophetic? I know that word can be thrown a, around a, in a numerous different ways. But for context of understanding this passage, what are we referring to in prophetic? So one of the tensions, again, like with the apostle, is that we often think of prophet in the sense of someone who has a word from God and is they're speaking a revelatory piece of, of text or language or vision to the people. And that's not always true. Often what prophets did in the Old Testament, and I think what Paul is very much trying to highlight, is their ability to speak truth. And so they see truth where others might not. They see into a thing and a place and a people that sometimes is a direct revelation of God like that, where it's like, I see uh, someone coming down the road as as a metaphor of of what's coming, and this is now going to help us understand what the deeper truth of God is. But it's almost always trying to point people back to the truth and pointing people back to God. And so that truth and understanding of our identity in God becomes such a beautiful thing. And absolutely, God uses prophetic revelation throughout church history, throughout the Old Testament, to draw his people back to himself, but sometimes in our current state, we we forget what does it mean to be that. So we talk about John the Baptist being one of these great prophets and really last prophet in the Old Testament style. And so he spoke truth to power, whether it was to Herod, whether it was to the Pharisees calling out their hypocrisy. He spoke truth to Jesus saying, you are the son of man. You are the one who I've been calling these people to to look out for. And so there's that crazy wild hair with uh, the big shoulders kind of mindset. But I think one of the things that's really interesting is when you think about other prophetic uh, expressions were more akin to Anna and how she mm-hmm. she heard the voice of God. And so this this sense of how she was waiting for the truth. She was sitting and waiting for the Messiah to come. And when she saw Mary and Joseph coming to dedicate Jesus at the temple, she knew that to be true. And she was able to see past what is sometimes our earthly haze. There's a sense of saying, God, where are you moving? Where are you showing me truth? And 
again, when we see this in concert with these other giftings, it's how are you revealing yourself to us, God? And then the action becomes often through the other giftings. They're good learners. Like they're they're more students can read culture. They can read environments and they're very attuned and sort of point us to the true north. I think of it sometimes, you know, those speeches you think of when you're maybe in the shower or or walking the dog and it just comes out perfectly. Like I think most people can relate. They're like, oh, this is how I'm going to tell my boss or this is how I'm going to speak this thing out. And it just comes out perfectly. What I say about the prophetic often is that those with this gift that have honed in on it, they're not just thinking it in the shower. They're able to say it in the moment. And sometimes we have to bridle that and learn how to do with gentleness and tactfulness or whatever. But what we're saying is actually probably right We just sometimes people aren't ready to hear the truth and can come out sharply. And so I'm learning to figure that out. (laughs) But that prophetic voice will cut right to the chase and say that shower speech right dead on. And sometimes I get mistaken, like, oh, could you teach this class? I'm like, I suck at teaching. Mm -hmm. I'm just a student telling you what I'm thinking. (laughs) We still need to lean into those other giftings. Absolutely. And this is why it's so easy to think about these as Um, as we go through them as a single entity. Uh, Wendy is X, and that is all (laughs) she is. And I know it's very easy to do that. It's binary or, or just easily compartmentalized. I think that one of the things that maybe we could have talked about earlier is the reality of most of us flow through these things in different capacities, in different strengths throughout our life. And so if you are truly healthy, being a prophet that spends time alone with God, that listens to Heavenly Father, that is listening to Holy Spirit, that is actively looking for the truth in the spaces that you inhabit, you're able to then have that shepherding mindset when you come and speak that truth. And, right. and we talk about things speaking truth to power, but it's also speaking truth in love and saying, this is what I see and I love you. And sometimes that's hard. It's funny. Um, being obedient to the truth, like you said, doesn't always just mean blurting out the truth. Obedience in, in understanding this role and this responsibility is saying, God, how best can I bring forward your truth in revelation? And mm-hmm. I think that that is such an important thing because I know that it, it, it can easily go the inverse and become a completely disruptive in a harmful way to the group and actually undo perhaps what you were attempting to create. That's right. Yeah. And it it could be weaponized, any of these in isolation. Sure. And we tend to vacillate in certain areas. And and I'll put some links in the show notes for people to listen to if they're curious about their own giftings. Some of this might be relevatory uh, just through listening. They might like, oh, yeah, I I fall into these kind of areas more often. Um, But you're right. We... We can have a variety of giftings uh, together. Let's look at the evangelist uh, briefly. I have a mentality of what an evangelist looks like. I think of Billy Graham. I think of the the crusades and tracks. And some of it adds a little cringe value to like, oh, no, Lord, please don't give me evangelist giftings. But when I look at through scripture, it actually has so much more than that. Absolutely. How would you give a contemporary version of what an evangelist is or somebody with that gifting? So sometimes in the business world, they actually have started hiring uh, roles for like a brand evangelist. And it's interesting. What I find the best way to describe a contemporary evangelist would be to think of someone who embodies the ethos and the, the desires of a concept and can't wait and just innately exudes that to those around them. Uh, sometimes my friends talk about me as like a, a technology evangelist or or even an Apple evangelist. But one of the things that's true about it is that I believe in the, in the thing that I'm talking about. And I do it in a way so that when you and I are talking about something going on in your life, it's natural for me to talk about how I might come up with a solution because I saw something, I heard something. It's embodied in me. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I can be a natural salesman. I can see those kinds of things. And when we talk about like these these evangelists, like when Peter brings these thousands of people to bear on on something, 
I don't actually think that that's always the best version of what we would consider an evangelist. A good friend, Bill Hogg, he's working on a, a project where uh, actually this month uh, they're having a, an evangelist conference here in Calgary called uh, The Message Advance. And one of the interesting pieces about it is that you have different people with different ways of being an evangelist. But the one core thing through all of them is that you can't stop them from talking about the good news. And that is what's core to them. It, it is bubbling over and every conversation somehow, some way comes back to Jesus. And it is beautiful and it is not necessarily for everyone. There are some people who are just, they are put in that way that because of their passion and their love, for the individual, for the situation, for the people around them. It, it is just amazing. And like you think about the uh, street corner evangelist and it's like, they're just yelling truth. That is not a good, healthy evangelist. That is somebody who wants to tell you everything that, that's wrong with you. A true, healthy evangelist is saying, I love you. And because I love you, you need to know this truth. And I got the cure to cancer type of thing. Like exactly. there's, there's something good. And I think the the operative word here is good news and sharing yeah. good news. Sometimes we've limited it to fire insurance, uh-huh. uh, to I can keep you from hell, can keep you from condemnation, to good news Truth. as being good news for all people in all circumstances. Jesus spread good news. He operates in all five, by the way. But Jesus shared good news in how he healed the leper, how he spoke to that woman that was condemned and how he was just there's social good news. There's technical good news. Like there's ways of just bringing alignment and kingdom values to what we do that galvanizes people for the flourishing of community. That is good news. And it doesn't take away from salvation. It doesn't take away from Christ. It's just that Christ is so much more than those four points on your tract. It's so much more. It's funny, though, because my mom and I, I I used to drive like thousands of kilometers a month, and I would just call my mom sometimes. And as someone who who was raised Catholic and then became a a charismatic Pentecostal later on in life, uh, she really embraced some of that, like I was raised on Thief in the Night and kind of like that, like pre-millennial dispensationalism was like core to it. She was like feeding me left behind books as soon as they were coming out. But there was this this thing about like, that was the point was that I was supposed to go out and tell people about Jesus so they don't go to hell. I was supposed to go out and tell people about Jesus because if I didn't, it was their end of life. One of the things that I'll say God revealed to me was this mindset of, so when Jesus sent out the 72... What was the gospel that he was calling them to proclaim? What was the good news? What was it? Because guess what? He hadn't died yet. It wasn't Jesus has died for your sins, come to heaven. It was something different. And this mindset of the good news should be the first thing, an acknowledgement of a brokenness of creation, a reconciling, redemptive God who comes into creation to make right what was wronged. That was the good news. I have come to give life and life more abundantly. Well, that's beautiful. And if that was the guy on the the soapbox on the street corner yelling at people saying, you are loved, Jesus (laughs) loves you. Guess what? There'd probably be a slightly different response to it than you're going to hell, you sinner. And I, I, I just, I struggle with that because if there isn't love underneath it, the evangelist is just unhealthy and broken and is is not actually doing a good job at proclaiming the good news. And it's like, it almost becomes like a bait and switch where it's like, what are you actually selling me? Because if it's not the good news of a redemptive reconciliation creator coming to earth to make right all of creation and offer us a chance at restoration, then really, what is this all about? And so like that, like forceful, like handing out tracks and yelling at people in the face, that isn't being an evangelist. Sorry to say that guys, if you, if you turn off the podcast now, because I've, I've offended you, I'm sorry, (laughs) but I, I'm telling you that is not it. And when you think about that value within the church, it's saying it's infectious. 
It's saying these are people that cannot stop sharing the love of God to everyone around them. I want what in they have. <laughs> novel ways. Exactly. That's what brings life sometimes into the church is the evangelist. Because it's like, you know what? When you're around them, everything seems a little bit brighter because they're just like, have you heard the good news? This is amazing. And that's beautiful, I think. I can't wait to get into that conversation. I have a wonderful guest that uh, will exemplify this well. Let's move on to shepherd. We think of a, a shepherd with sheep, but we also think of a pastoral shepherd. God is the good shepherd. Um, but as a gifting within the church, we've already alluded to that that is often uh, the person in care ministries or pastoral ministries within the church. Um, can you give me a little bit of a synopsis of, of what shepherding could look like today? Totally. And in different translations, that, that title like pastor has been like often aligned with shepherd. And so the concept of coming in and being a shepherd within a, a congregational setting is very different than I think what the shepherding ethos is. Those that are drawn towards, like you said, care ministries, where they're going into nursing or going into social work, or simply saying, I want to be a part of the the health and the sometimes mundane parts of life, they matter to those people. They're the ones that set up the meal trains when a family is is having a new baby. They, they're the ones that are the first to check in on you after uh, a loss of a family member because they are content and happy to sit with you holding your hand and say, I am with you. You're not alone. And so sometimes that like that can come into like encouragements and empathy, but it, it really embraces that sense of I am with you. And I think that when we turn shepherd into I need to protect you from everything in order to make that like a helicopter parent, it can become difficult because I know working in a psychiatric hospital, one of the biggest things is that you need to challenge people. You need to give them opportunities for growth. And a healthy individual, a healthy shepherd is accepting of that and is challenging people in the spaces that they are to say, hey, healthy might look like this. Let's go for a walk. You don't want to get out of your house. I'm going to show up at your house and we're going to go for a walk. Right. They have this healthy sense of really nurturing and making people safe, yep. yet not just being the massage therapist, but they're giving them exercises to, to work through some of those tensions, to work through their anxiety, through those difficulties so that they have agency as well, rather than just enabling codependent. Um, I'm not strong in shepherding. I would be the first to admit. However, I think this is a appropriate. I just feel a call out to women a lot of women have a shepherding pastoral heart that may not feel they have office of pastor within their denomination or on the stage. Shepherding is so much more than what we have delegated it to in a, an election process. If you have a shepherding heart, a pastoral heart as women, we need you because the female pastoral heart sees things and nurtures in different ways. And I don't want to get too gender stereotypical, mm -hmm. but I think sometimes we pigeonhole it into a masculine office job of caring. And some, there's obviously many males that do it well, but I feel like we're missing half the church if we're we're also not calling that out in people that are already doing it. They, they just need to live in that and own it. Obviously with humility, but own it as a pastoral. We need these pastoral hearts. Well, going back to what we said earlier, this is not meant to be a leadership in the sense of, I'm a staff member. I have a title. I have a, an official role. These, all of these, every single one of these is a gift meant to enrich, empower, engage the entire body of God. And, and I think it's hard when we think about that shepherd in the sense of it's, it's my job. I'm going to be the chaplain for this hockey team. I'm going to be this chaplain doing these jobs versus someone who says, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm that mother hen within the church. I want to care about you. I noticed you weren't there. I, I'm wanting to check in on you. And this is an important part where often with the prophetic and the apostolic and the evangelist without shepherding mindset, either there or someone strong in the shepherd, you will burn people out. You will push them away. And you will not, not 
care about their current and long-term health in the same way. And I think that this is one of those things that, like we said before, much of the North American Western church is staffed by shepherd teachers, shepherds and teachers. And oh my goodness, coming out of the the pandemic and the need for care, we're going to go into this in that that episode yet, but the need for self-care beyond just (laughs) the stereotypical self-care, that soul care of a good shepherd that is so needed. We need to uphold these people that are sometimes overused and and abused. But let's go on to teacher, our last one. We're running a little long here, but I can't stop us because this is good. As far as teacher, I think it's self-explanatory. It's a contemporary word we use already. But let's expand our imagination a little bit of what do we mean by having that teaching ability in the body of Christ? So one of the things about a teacher is somebody that simply sends information one person to another is not necessarily a teacher. They may have the office of teacher, but that doesn't mean that they are gifted in teaching. One of the things that's beautiful about the understanding of this in its in a gifting mindset is that a teacher is someone who understands how to convey information and expectations in a way that causes the individual receiving that information or that expectation to be able to act on it, to be able to embody it, to be able to take it in. And one of the things that's really interesting is that there are websites like Rate Your Professor and and you get to see these amazing professors and and the, the world of podcasting, again, dating myself. I remember with my first iPod listening to podcasts of teachers from across the world that were extremely gifted in conveying this information we have the ability to say like there are some amazingly gifted individuals that we have access to around the world that are able to help both take complex and difficult topics and make them accessible and understandable to the masses and sometimes that puts a lot of pressure on somebody within a local church to say so then what's my job if i can't be I don't want to name names, pick church leader that you listen to their podcast. Um, I can't be that. So I'm not really that good. It's like, no, are you in your context, whether you're a Sunday school teacher where you've got 10 men on a Wednesday night going through some material, do you feel empowered and engaged by taking in the information and then bringing it out into a way that engages these individuals? And I think that's a really important role because a teacher is not just information, it's action. And if we want to really go back to a healthy disciple-making disciples as a mindset within our churches, we need teachers who are able to say, this is the information in front of us. This is how we can, can eat it. And this is how we can walk it out. Because one of the biggest struggles I think has been that we have reduced teacher to pulpit ministry and listen to me for 45 minutes on a Sunday. And I've inoculated you against something and that's all. But truly, we need our teachers to, to understand their role within the church as ones taking and understanding the Bible, understanding scripture, and being able to bring it into a context. One of the, the phrases I remember in seminary that we used was, we were like mother birds at times. And we would help pre-process some of this stuff. But much in the same way that Paul talks about it, we don't want people to stay on milk. We need people to learn how to take this and grow. And so as a teacher, sometimes your role is saying my role changes over time. Or I focus on those that are younger in their faith, that are learning about what it means to understand their their identity as a follower of the, the king and, and that is different than someone who is teaching university and needs somebody who is going to be more engaged in a different way. And so we need that diversity of both teachers and explainers who are able to take that scripture that they themselves have processed and, and gone through and sat in and come into it and say, God, where, how, what do you want me to say and do with this? And that, I think, is a beautiful, very important part of this because it can easily turn into something that is simply read this and memorize it and do a sword drill or, or something like that. And that isn't truly teaching people anything. 
it becomes a cerebral exercise. And, and sometimes that's where we've reduced theology into cerebral exercises. And, and the teacher at the front knows the Greek or, or something, some fancy word. And yet, if it's not disseminated, if it's not something actionable, we, we need depth of knowledge. But if it can't be brought down to helping transformation, helping that rejuvenation and that awakening within the church, uh, we're missing the point. And so I've sat under uh, the teachings of good teachers. And my goodness, do they bring the word of God alive? Do they make cultural anthropology alive? Do they make sociology, uh, psychology, all these things that we don't have to be afraid of knowledge? We just need good teachers from within the body of Christ that are centered on Christ to bring it into alignment. What does this mean for me as a follower of Christ? We we went through a lot, <laughs> and I feel like there's so much more, and there will be so much more in the subsequent episodes. I, I'm looking forward to hosting new guests uh, each week, and I hope that you can follow with us. Thank you so much, Zach, for unpacking a wealth of information, giving us a lot to think about. Any last words of wisdom? I'm going to put your your links in the show notes as well as some some links to some good resources that people might be interested in. But any final words for you? I would just draw us back to Ephesians 4 and, and really this understanding of this is meant to create, I'm reading the NLT right now, the responsibility of these gifts is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And if we see each of these as both equal and necessary parts of a healthy body, we understand then the need to have each of these working in unison together. And without that, it, it is an unhealthy, broken church. And, and I'm not just talking institutional, I'm not just talking local, I'm talking about the, the whole body of Christ becomes unhealthy. And I think as we continue to explore this over the, the coming weeks, I encourage people to, to really wrestle with how do I engage people that are not like me, that are gifted in other ways without it being an adversarial relationship. And to allow for disruption and encouragement to come from these other gifts. Because as we do that, we are so much more healthy and just as the, the Trinity is an expression of the interdependence and, and mutual servants of God themselves, I want us to view these kinds of giftings in the same way. As each of these serves and lifts up the other, we will be a more accurate representation of God on earth. And that, my friends, is how we are going to lead differently together. Thank you for joining another conversation on Journey with Care, where we inspire curious Canadians on their path of faith and living life with purpose in community. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church to journey well in community. You can visit their website at careimpact.ca or visit journeywithcare.ca to get more information on weekly episodes, Journey with Prayer, and details about our upcoming events and meetups. You can also leave us a message, share your thoughts, and connect with like-minded individuals who are on their own journeys of faith and purpose. Thank you for sharing this podcast and helping these stories reach the community. Together, we can explore ways to journey in a good way. And always remember to stay curious. Stay curious.